Hello, everyone, and I'm David Schwartz, and uh, welcome to this program. Uh, here we have a big crowd out there, and the name of my lecture is Claim Versus Right, Street Vending Regulations in the 21st Century. And I believe this is a uh, first-of-its-kind program, and many of you may think that street vending is boring. It could be a boring topic, but it's not a boring topic. It's actually a very exciting topic and uh, we look forward to getting right into it. But before I get into it, um, I've been an attorney for over 23 years. Uh, I was a prosecutor in the Brooklyn DA's office in the mid-90s. And uh, over the last decade, um, I, have, um, I started a uh, lobbying government relations business also uh, with my partners. So we have a law firm and a lobbying firm and uh, I'm one of the few lobbyists who's also a litigator. So I still try a lot of cases, uh, but we lobby issues uh, all over uh, New York and in Washington. And uh, that it, it's a good segue into the program because a, a lot of this is legal in nature, but most of it is political in nature. So it's where lobbying, politics, and the law all come together. So it's interesting. And I got involved with street vending uh, because uh, I represent a lot of supermarkets. I represent the New York State uh, Bodega Association, the New York Association of Grocery Stores, and uh, most recently, New Yorkers for Street Vending Reform, uh, which is really the basis of my talk today because New Yorkers for Street Vending Reform bring together a lot of different entities, community groups, brick-and-mortar grocery stores, and, and the like. So we're going to talk about um, becoming familiar with the laws governing street vending in major cities throughout the United States and understanding the tensions between the relevant interests, including street vendors, brick and mortar stores, and local and city governments. Uh, we're going to learn about the common restrictions placed on vendors, including the arguments supporting and opposing those restrictions. And um, we're going to discuss pending uh, legislation and a New York City case study. Now, now, for all of you to know, I fall on the side of the brick-and-mortar stores in this tension, in this tug-of-war, but I will be fair and balanced through this discussion. I hope you, I hope you realize that I'm going to present uh, both sides of this issue. And in order to be a good advocate, you really need to know both sides of each issue, right? Any good trial lawyer has to know the opposing case just as well as you know your own case. So that, that's important to, to understand. Um, so why claim versus right? So, um, and that's the title of the presentation, Claim Versus Right. And if you think about it, um, every street vendor needs a public space to vend their items. Um, it's that physical location. Street vending is essentially a battle over public space. But the question becomes, what constitutes public space? So, um, to uh, quote some cases which are, which are uh, referenced on the slide. Um, a space is made public when one group takes space and makes it public. The idea of an historical conflict-free space is a myth. Public spaces were contested terrains where urbanites saw other people who disturbed them, interacted with those who competed with them, and through which differing interests played out. So there is always this tug-of-war with the public spaces. A space's publicness can be seen as the extent to which people have access without permission, expressed or implied, and in which they can decide individually about how to conduct themselves. Okay, so um, it's always this battle over the spaces. But um, what is public space? So all places have restrictions, physical, legal, social, on their access and use, and the way a space functions is an evaluation made comparatively with all of the other spaces. So that's the, the general theme of what claim versus right is all about. And um, we're going to get into um, a lot of the perspectives which constitute the public spaces. So, you know, think about black, black market vendors, for example. They don't have permission, but their, but their um, existence 
has become publicly acceptable to the point that it's hard to get enforcement against them, especially where we're sitting right now in New York City. And I know it's different um, around the country, and we're going to talk about a lot of cases around the country. So this is not going to be just a New York City-centric um, uh, program, but we really are in the heart of the street vending controversy here in New York City. So um, there is no absolute right to vend. Let's just start off by saying generally, no absolute right to vend. So um, even though you know we're in public streets um, where the public, where the vending takes place, um, traditionally a public place. Uh, in the First Amendment context, there's this whole section of law devoted to what happens in public forums called the public forum doctrine. And um, there's no absolute vested right to uh, vend in the streets. So even though the Supreme Court um, has recently repeated recognized public streets as the arch archetype of traditional public forum, a place by which long tradition or by government fiat has been devoted to public assembly and debate, there's no vested right to do business upon the public street. So let's just get that out of the way right off the bat. Um, any use of the streets, and certainly any use of the streets for a private business purpose, and we, we're going to make that distinction later on, this private, this private business purpose uh, versus a non-business purpose, because there's a big distinction, may doubtless be prohibited in proper case by the legislature. So that's an important um, point. And uh, that's what we mean when we say that there is no absolute right to vend on the streets. So the next question becomes, is there any right to vend at all? And um, the answer is yes. Um, the government has a right to place reasonable restrictions, and we'll get to that reasonable issue later on, on street vendors. The right to vend is established by statute. So the answer is yes. And then we have our example. We're going to start off with a New York City example. In New York City, vending is permitted so long as the street vendor is licensed pursuant to a legislatively uh, created regulatory scheme. And that's in the New York City Administrative Code. The section is on your materials. Um, it shall be unlawful for any individual to act as a food vendor without having first obtained a license. But Generally speaking, the government has broad power to legislatively ban all street peddling or regulate its, its existence. But, um, and we'll get to the reasons why later on, but um, the right to vend has to be established by statute. And that's why the, the country right now has such differing uh, uh, positions on street vending in general. And I should add right now, you know, we may not get to every slide, but I've put all my important materials up front, and I've given you uh, the rest of the materials in case we can't get to it. So, doubtless, government can ban all street vending. Um, and, of course, uh, this is quoting the Good Humor case, which we're going to talk about a lot in this discussion. Um, the, uh, the Good Humor case is, is one of the seminal cases in this area. It's a, 19, uh, it's a decision from the 1940s, and it still exists today. And we'll talk about some of the political realities of that decision. But doubtless, the legislature might adopt reasonable measures to prevent abuses in connection with licensed peddling. We may assume that the legislature may even authorize a city by local law to refuse to license any peddlers and to stop all peddling if complete prohibition rather than regulation peddling of peddling is reasonable measure to stop abuses. So um, the, we're going to be quoting the, uh, the Good Humor case a lot, which is a uh, New York Court of Appeals decision. And um, the next question is, um, well, let's, let's, let me just talk to you about that for one second. Um, you know, remember the theme of this course. It's claim versus right. So even though there is no absolute right to vending, the good humor case seems to imply that there is some kind of qualified right to vend. And we're going to get into that qualified right to vend. And note the word 
reasonable. You can ban vending if it's reasonably required to stop other abuses. So the city gives permission, New York City gives permission, and it has the right to take street vending away. Of course, there are standards governing um, how the city would go about banning all street vending, but the point is that it's not an absolute right, and it's subject to restriction under specific circumstances. So um, now getting to this slide, government can also regulate street vendors without banning the trade. So we know that there's no absolute right to vend. Um, we know the government can ban all vending under, under certain circumstances. And we know uh, the government has a right to intervene. And even though there are First Amendment issues, which we're going to get to later on, um, government has the right to regulate street vendors without completely, completely banning the trade. So rather than proceeding by the immediate and absolute abolition of all pushcart vendors, uh, pushcart food vendors, legislatures can enact restrictions and regulations on the vendors. And because the said, and this is quoting a Supreme Court case, which we're going to talk about later also, New Orleans v. Dukes. So, um, and it's a city that I love. That's where I went to college. I went to uh, Tulane University. And so I'm happy that the uh, New Orleans case is the seminal case in this area. But because the Supreme Court has said that a legislature need not strike at all evils at the same time, this regulatory power is broad. And then, of course, go back to the good humor case. Um, the city has broad power to regulate the use of streets and to provide by local law for the good government of the city. So, you know, we see again uh, the Good Humor case. Uh, they tell us, the Good Humor case tells us that government's power is broad. But not only that, the legislature in enacting statutes need not strike all evils at the same time. It has leniency to pick and to choose which societal evils uh, it wants to address and when it can address them. So maybe, for example, putting heavy restrictions on vending in some places over others uh, is important due to the kind of people in the area. Now think about this. Maybe we don't want vendors vending near schools based on the kind of people, near children, right? Um, so we'll pass a statute that says vendors can't vend within a certain distance from schools. And uh, we'll get into some of those restrictions uh, in a little bit as well. So um, that's the New Orleans versus Dukes case. And now we come to this question of how exactly broad is this power? And um, we know that the legislature uh, has a broad power to uh, regulate street vending. And it's a broad power because the cases say so, right? Uh, but the standard, um, the, the courts use the rational basis test. Uh, which, is the which is the constitutional standard. So the test is, except where a statutory classification or distinction trammels the fundamental personal rights or is drawn upon the basis of inherently suspect factors such as race, religion, or alienage, the constitutional requirements that classification must be rationally related to a legitimate interest. So, um, and um, that's um, a California case, uh, People versus a la carte catering company, citing the New Orleans uh, versus Dukes case. So it's the rational basis uh, test, which I know, you know we've heard a lot. Um, and of course, the key words are bolded and italicized. Um, that's your standard, rationally related to a legitimate interest. And um, of course, there are two parts to this. Uh, number one, it must be reasonable and rational, the government regulation, and it must um, regulate a legitimate state interest. So um, it's the rational basis test. So, so now we're going to have some fun. Um, we're going to get into some hypotheticals, and um, I hope you find them interesting. Let me just take a sip of water. So before we get into the hypotheticals, uh, let's summarize and make sure that everyone is on the same page here of what we've gone over so far. Um, so it's important to understand what we've gone over in order to understand these hypotheticals. So number one, 
There is no absolute right to vend in the streets, even though vending takes place in what would traditionally be a public forum. Number two, the government has power to implement rules and regulations that affect street vending, and the government's power to implement these rules is broad. And number three, how broad? Pretty broad. All right, the regulations only have to pass the rational basis test. So uh, they have to be rationally related to a legitimate state interest. So now that we have our facts, let's go, to, let's go into our, uh, our, our hypotheticals. So hypothetical number one, a company sells ice cream products to consumers in the streets of New York City from a refrigerated motor cars, tricycles, and handcarts. I bet you have a sort of an idea of what case this is. I mean, just think about you know your childhood and going to the park and the schoolyard. I grew up in Brooklyn, and you know going to the park and playing with your friends, you know baseball, stickball, football, whatever it is. And then afterwards, that ice cream truck comes by, you know, singing the music and whether it's a good humor truck or a Mr. Softy truck. How great! was that ice cream truck. Little did you know that that ice cream truck created the seminal case in street vending regulation. So it's, um, it's interesting how things go full circle. So New York City, so get, going further with our hypothetical, uh, New York City adopts a local law to amend the administrative code of the city of New York in relation to the prohibition of uh, itinerant peddling on the streets of the city. Specifically, the new law makes it unlawful for any person to peddle, hawk, or sell any goods, wares, or merchandise on any of the streets of the city. The company brings a constitutional challenge. So here, what do we have here? We have an outright ban, right? So New York City defends its new law by arguing, some peddlers have unclean hands and are irresponsible, ins insolent, unfair, abusive, in the manner that, the, that, the, that they conduct business. Excuse me, this is very small writing, so it's hard for me to see. Some peddlers fraudulently use defective scales and measures. Some peddlers store merchandise and offer it for in an unsanitary manner. Peddlers can cause congestion in the streets and on the sidewalk. Peddlers unfairly compete with, with traditional brick and mortar stores that have to pay rent and taxes. So that's the hypothetical number one. And um, why don't we think about it for one second? Do you think um, it, can't, it passes constitutional muster or not? Is it rationally related to a government interest? And the answer is, what do you think? The answer is, the answer is no. To the question, will New York City's new law be upheld? No, the answer is no. And um, let's look at the five reasons New York City came up with to justify the law. Can you believe New York City couldn't even pass the rational basis test? I mean, come on, that's pretty lame if you ask me. But, um, and look, and, and I have to tell you, the ramifications of this law, now I'll put my lobbying hat on, have been unbelievable because our legislature now in New York City is afraid to enact any new laws because of this broad restriction and this good humor case has resonated some 80, you know, 75 years later. Um, this good humor case, we're still paying for it in New York City. So let's, those five justifications, let's summarize it into three categories. Let's call the first category public health concerns. The second category, uh, congestion and traffic concerns. And the third category, unfair competition. So why, okay? Why was this not upheld? So let's talk first about the public health concerns. According to New York's highest state court, an outright ban on vending, although allowed in the proper case, is not rationally related to public health concerns. Vending is legal and regulated. There is no public health concern when those regulations are followed. So that was sort of a fictional response because we have health regulations. So, so why is there a health issue? 
So um, the, second, the second category of reasons that New York City um, brought up is congestion and traffic concerns. And I have a lot to say about this one. But traffic concerns are a valid basis to restrict street vending, but an outright ban on all vending is not rationally related to a legitimate public purpose without proof. It clearly appears that the, um, that the business of selling merchandise in the streets of the city cannot be, can, city can be conducted uh, without creating traffic concerns. All right, so uh, hello, you know, maybe in 1940 there were no traffic concerns, but if anyone looks at New York City today and we revisited that issue in Midtown Manhattan, and again, you know, I'm on the side of the, of the brick and mortar stores who pay taxes, who, who are highly regulated, and, um, um, you know, have contributed greatly to the city. Not that the street vendors don't, but the, the bottom line is um, today in the year 2017, you know, the street vendors are causing havoc in the middle of the street. If you look at lines of street vendors, I mean, people only have this much room to walk. The city is being choked. So I don't, I, I don't agree with the good humor case, although I wasn't around in the 1940s. Um, certainly, um, I believe the city today, if they were to revisit this and create another statute, they could certainly successfully argue congestion and traffic concerns. Um, the third reason the city gave in the Good Humor case is the legislature's power uh, is not broad enough to prohibit the use of street for lawful business, recognized by statute for the sole purpose of protecting rent payers and taxpayers like brick and mortar stores against competition from others like street vendors who do not pay rent, who do not pay rent or taxes. So. Um, again, I personally don't agree. Uh, I, I certainly think uh, the unfair competition uh, argument, and there are many other jurisdictions that agree with this, that have regulations that haven't been challenged. Um, I believe it unfairly competes uh, against brick and mortar stores, especially fruit vendors that don't pay for um, rent, they don't pay the, 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 the property taxes, um, and they're able to sell it at a much cheaper price. It really does create unfair competition. But the, um, the New York State Court of Appeals is certainly um, uh, a higher court than the court of David Schwartz. And um, they ruled uh, that unfair competition is not a legitimate uh, reason. So that's hypothetical number one. Um, let's go to hypothetical number two. And now we're going to go to the left coast, Los Angeles, California. Will the Los Angeles law be upheld? Okay, so what are the facts? <clears throat> Los Angeles, California passes a local law restricting sales by catering trucks within 100 feet of a stationary or fixed restaurant or similar establishment. Catering street vendor brings a constitutional challenge. City defends by arguing that a, that a closer location might create a traffic hazard. And further, that the limitation is a rational one in that the catering trucks perform a public good in providing food to stranded wayfarers in other locations but are not so needed close to an established restaurant. And now the question becomes, is hypothetical number two the California law, does that, is that going to pass muster? Is that going to be rationally related to a government interest? So what do you think? Anybody have any ideas? All right, let's go to the answer. The answer is no. Los Angeles's law will be, will Los Angeles's law be upheld? See, I'm not even following my own script here. The answer is no. The restriction placed by the law is not reasonably calculated to achieve a legitimate Public purpose, it fails the rational basis review. So, New York City fails the rational basis review. Uh, and Los Angeles um, fails the, the, the rational basis review. And this is the case of People versus a la carte catering co company. The restriction, and the answer is, uh, by the California Appellate Division, the restriction as crafted is irrational. The city does not explain how a catering truck is more 
of a traffic hazard within 100 feet of an entrance to a restaurant than it is within 100 feet of the entrance to a gas station or other commercial enterprise or why the presence of a catering truck would not provide the same life-preserving sustenance within 100 feet of a restaurant during the hours or on a day that the restaurant is closed. And you know what? It's con you know what? Los Angeles blew it. They completely blew it back in 1979. What a think about it. That that's kind of a ridiculous excuse that somehow, oh, it's going to be traffic concerns, you know. And again, I fall on the side of brick and mortar. But even I could see the ridiculousness of the excuse that that the that Los Angeles put up. I mean, it's not going to cause any more traffic, whether it's in front of a restaurant or whether it's in front of a department store, or whether it's in front of a stadium or whether it's in front of, of a anything or whether it's in front of a department store, a clothing store, it could be in front of a bar. It doesn't matter. How is being in front of a restaurant going to cause any more traffic? I mean, I don't even know how California could have, um, could have argued that. So. Um, it, it, so we fail for both of those, and I think, you know, in both cases, they um, they were poor arguments put put up by New York City and Los Angeles, and these arguments had they have everlasting effects, especially in in the good humor case, because now I'll put my lobbying hat on. Every time I'm trying to lobby for new laws in New York City that restrict street vending, which it, it, there's a legitimate public interest to creating regulations against street vendors, I'm stuck with this, this good humor case, which still lasts today. Because New York City, in its infinite wisdom, tried to have an all-out ban, which I'm going to compare in the, uh, in the next slide, which we're comparing hypotheticals one and two. So hypo one was a total ban on vending, and remember the justification was public health, number one, number two, congestion and traffic, and number three, unfair competition. In hypothetical number two, there was a 100-foot restriction outside of restaurants. The justification, uh, number one, vendors might create congestion and traffic when parked outside of restaurants. Ridiculous. And number two, they are better off serving food where there isn't a restaurant filling that need already. Both failed. You know, the low, think about it, the low bar of this rational basis test. I mean, how hard is it to create a rational basis, a relationship between a regulation and a legitimate uh, public governmental interest? And this is in light of the fact that government under certain cases could ban all restriction, all, all street vending. So why, you know, and I, I give it right to you, poorly crafted restrictions. The total ban in hypothetical number one was essentially too broad. While the court is not going to subvert the legislature, it's going to pay attention to see if the justification traces well with the restriction. Although reasonable minds can differ, the court uh, seemed to feel that unfair competition alone is not enough and there was little proof of public health or traffic concerns. And again, if we brought that case back today, I, I could, we could, you know, if I were arguing that case in court, I mean, you could point out, I mean, horrible traffic concerns, horrible. There is probably a thousand more trucks, food vending trucks today, forgetting about the street vendors, the food vending trucks, which take up you know, streets, and they take up parking spots, and then also the, um, the, the, there's so many more street vendors today. Um, so I think the traffic concerns, especially the traffic on the sidewalk, if we were to re-argue that case, which I'm hoping we do one day, and, and the legislature takes my advice and enacts some laws, um, I'm hoping we do uh, re-argue or re-litigate or, or uh, you know, take another look at the good humor case because good humor clearly um, calls for restrictions. It was just too broad. And then similarly, in hypothetical number two, the court felt that the restriction and its justification didn't trace well together. So if the concern is really about traffic, why is the restriction only 100 feet from a restaurant? Um, it feels like traffic is just an excuse to prevent competition. And clearly, um, you know, clearly it was an excuse. I mean, and now getting back to the lobbying aspects, I mean, we can only imagine what happened with that 
with that law. Um, <clears throat> clearly, the Restaurant Association probably had some juice in Los Angeles, and they got together and they got some legislators to enact this law, and it was and it was signed into law by the mayor of Los Angeles. So um, clearly, this was a lobbying effort, and the city really gave no thought as to why they were enacting such a law. So. Um, that's the uh, comparison between hypothetical number one, number one and number two. Now I have another hypothetical for you. Number three, oh, well, things to remember, okay. So things to remember, legislatures have broad power to regulate street vending. The bar is fairly low. The restriction only has to be rationally related to a legitimate public purpose. But even though the rational basis review is traditionally an easy standard to meet, the courts will pay particular attention to see how it's related, how, the, how related the restriction is to its justification. So if the restriction is not related, the court will strike it down. If the restriction is related, the court will uphold it. So um, let's go to the, our hypothetical. There's my hypothetical. And uh, again, before we get to the hypothetical, I talk about how low this bar is and how New York City and Los Angeles you know, two very large cities, two of the largest cities in the country, really couldn't think of uh, rational um, ways to argue this case. So it really, it really says a lot right there. But let's go to another one of my favorite cities, uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. Again, I'm a Tulane graduate, so I, I love that city. And, uh, and, I, and I met my wife there um, 23 years ago at Tulane. So it, this city has a very special place in my heart. And uh, let's go through this hypothetical. A push cart operator has been operating legally for two years under New Orleans law. New Orleans amends its vendor laws to prohibit vending in a particular geographic area, the French Quarter, the Vu Carre. And I had many great moments in the French Quarter. And, but creates an exception uh, via grandfather clause permitting vendors who have been vending in the area for eight years to continue to, uh, to continue to obtain a valid permit. A vendor who has been operating for two years brings a constitutional challenge. So, um, you know, we have a particular geographic area and we have a time restraint. So, and we're going to be talking in, in more depth about both of those later on. The city defends its restriction by arguing that the restriction preserves the, the charm, vitality, and character of that area because, number one, too many vendors can disturb the tourists, and number two, people with less than eight years vending in the area have not built a sufficient reliance interest. So, and I gotta move this along because um, uh, I am, Already a half hour into this, I can't believe it. Um, so, what do you think? Hypothetical number three, is this law gonna be upheld or not? The answer is yes. Finally, we have a city that could craft a law that passes the rational basis test. Yes, the restriction placed by the law is reasonably calculated to achieve, to achieve a legitimate public purpose. Passes rational basis review, and why? Let's see the Supreme Court case of New Orleans versus Dukes, 1976. So the first argument on, the, on behalf of the city of New Orleans, uh, charm, beautification, and bothering tourists. The city is required, especially this city, to preserve the appearance and custom of the unique area that is the French Quarter. The city council plainly could further that objective by making the reasoned judgment that the street peddlers and hawkers tend to interfere with the charm and the beauty of this historic area and disturb their enjoyment of that charm and beauty. And then number two, sufficient reliance. The city could reasonably decide that newer businesses were less likely to have built up a substantial reliance interests in continued operation in the Vu Carre, and that the vendors who qualified under the grandfather clause had themselves become part of that distinctive character and charm that distinguishes the Vu Carre. 
And of course, you know, if you've been to New Orleans, you think of the Lucky Dogs, right? The Lucky Dogs on Bourbon Street. I mean, they certainly, they've been there forever. But, um, you know, that is a carefully crafted statute. That is a carefully crafted argument. They were cognizant of the rational basis test. And, you know, leave it to New Orleans to, uh, to, to lead the way. I mean, you know, New York, Los Angeles, you could take some, you know, you could take a little advice from New Orleans, um, which, again, is a great city. So let's compare hypos number one, number two, and number three. Remember, hypothet hypothetical number one was a total ban on vending. Justification, public health, congestion and traffic, unfair competition. Hypo number two, restriction outside of the restaurants, justifications. Vendors might create congestion and traffic when parked outside the restaurants. And they are better off serving food where there isn't a restaurant filling that need already. That is one of the lamest. I can't get over how lame that excuse is. And then hypo number three was a ban combined with a grandfather clause exception for those who have been operating at least eight years in the now restricted area. Justification, charm, beautification, bothering tourists. Uh, and then the number two justification, less than eight years uh, is insufficient reliance. Hypos one and two fail the rational basis, but hypothetical three passed the rational basis. Why? The relationship between the restriction and the justification in hypothetical number three, it's tighter. It's rational that tourists may not want to be disturbed by vendors um, that are not part of the character of the neighborhood. The vendors who have been operational for at least eight years have become part of the neighborhood's charm and character. And so that eight-year time period might seem arbitrary, but when you put a number on it, any number is arbitrary. So um, now that we've gone through those three hypotheticals, let's look at the common types of restrictions. So we have proximity restrictions, geospatial restrictions, time-based restric restrictions, and miscellaneous restrictions. Um, so we went through the test to determine if the regulation being implemented will pass muster. Uh, we've gone through the three hypotheticals to give examples of what worked and what has not worked. So um, we know how to judge if a restriction is no good, but we have not. We have now. Um, we've yet to discuss what type of restrictions, uh, regulations, government seeks to implement, um, and the most common types. So proximity, geospatial, time-based, and miscellaneous. So let's go through it. Proximity restrictions, um, and these proximity restrictions vary heavily from place to place. So. Um, usually um, restrict vending within a specified number of feet from a named establishment, you know, just like the, in the Los Angeles case, right? Often used to prevent vendors from vending near restaurants, right? But also common to prevent vending from other areas as well, schools or intersections. Strongly disfavored by street vendors and their supporters as an attempt to unfairly protect traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Um, again, I don't agree with their arguments, but I understand their arguments. Um, but I am an advocate like many of you are. So, and um, proximity um, restrictions continued. Uh, here are some examples of some places. And this is really small. I hope I could read it. All right, let's go to Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, my daughter goes to Duke. So these are all places that I like a lot, although that's Durham, but 20 minutes away. Uh, push carts are prohibited in areas not zoned for commercial use. In all other areas of the city, the carts shall conform to the following regulations regarding location and operation. Carts selling food products must be at least 50 feet from the entrance to any business selling food unless the owner of that business gives written permission for the infringement of the no vending area. And that's, the, that's in Raleigh, uh, North Carolina. Uh, note the built-in veto power uh, the, legislator, le the legislature afforded brick and mortar stores. Uh, wake up, New York City, we should have that here. But um, 
I don't suspect Raleigh has as big of a vending uh, issue as New York City. All right, let's go to Louisville, Kentucky. Um, no mobile vendor shall sell or vend from his or her uh, vehicle or conveyance within 300 feet of the entrance to any business establishment offering a main featured uh, offering as main featured item or items similar products for which sale is open for business. Uh, that's under the Louisville Code. Uh, no vendor shall sell so shall sell or vend from his or her vehicle or conveyance within 300 feet of any restaurant, cafe, or eating establishment which is open for business. So look, hey, if the street vendors in Louisville want to follow suit with Los Angeles, you should challenge the statute. You may win. Cleveland, no vendor shall operate a mobile food shop located on a public sidewalk outside of the central business district in the following locations, within 100 feet of a food ser service business operating from a fixed and permanent location existing at the, at the time of license issuance or renewal, so that's issuance or renewal, during the operating hours of such business. Think about that one for a second. So you have issuance or renewal. So um, you know if the street vendor is there first, you know, the, the brick and mortar business, even if it comes after, they'll have a right to kick them out. So that's interesting, and um, I'm, I, no one has challenged that in Cleveland as well. Um, in fact, a lot of these laws have not been challenged because there isn't that type of tug of war as there is in some of the more, you know, urban areas like New York City, Chicago, and, and LA. Um, Memphis. No operator of such a vehicle shall park or stand within 300 feet of a school playground or residential district which school is in session unless an agreement is, is established with the school. And uh, that certainly, with some of the uh, cases, would pass the rational basis test. All right, so next slide. Now we have the geospatial uh, restrictions. Um, these are restrictions that aren't based on proximity Rather, they are based on geographic space, keeping vendors out of certain areas. So uh, there are two basic kinds of geospatial restrictions. Number one, restriction on vending from public property. And number two, zone-based restrictions. So um, let's, um, let's note that the proximity was what the proximity was focusing on. So most often, it's based on certain distance from restaurants or food establishments. This is because there is often a concern that vendors will force brick-and-mortar stores out of business, and it's a real concern. Uh, it's legitimate because brick-and-mortar stores pay taxes and other fees uh, that vendors are, are not sub subjected to. And number two, we've seen vendors uh, cost a traditional brick-and-store thousands of dollars per store. Um, in fact, uh, for some of the supermarkets in New York City, we have um, street fruit vendors right outside. They're, they're costing some of the brick-and-mortar stores thousands of dollars a week, thousands of dollars a week in, in pure profit um, uh, the supermarkets are losing. So I'll give you the counter-arguments, though. I told you I'd be fair and balanced. Uh, the counter-argument is that these vendors can't provide the same services as a bigger brick-and-mortar store. So it's not unfair to let them vend. Um, but that's only true to the extent that if you look at the overall store versus the vendor, um, the vendor sells fruits and he parks outside a store that also sells fruits, that vendor will take away a substantial business, just like the example that I just gave. So let's look at geospatial restrictions continued. Um, actually, um, Okay, so there are two basic kinds, restriction on vending from public property and zone-based restrictions. So in Tulsa, it shall be an offense for any person to display, sell, or offer for any good wares or merchandise of any description from any stand, park vehicle, or other stationary position upon any street or alley. Um, in Oakland, there's a geospatial regulation. The, uh, the vehicular food vendor shall locate on private property, that's an interesting one, and must receive written consent from the property owner uh, to occupy the property and to conform 
to the conditions of the permit. That's pursuant to the Oakland Code. And in San Antonio, how about this one? A pushcart vendor shall be prohibited from operating on the public street. So that sounds a little bit like the, uh, the good humor case, but only specifically referring to pushcart vendors. So, and these haven't been challenged. So it would be interesting if somebody uh, challenged these. Wow, no questions so far. So feel free to ask questions if you want. Um, geospatial restrictions continued. So now let's look at some zone-based restrictions. Um, these are interesting restrictions because they are um, they are based on on um, they're based on time. So in Sacramento, except as otherwise provided, no person shall sell or attempt to sell distribute goods, wares, merchandise, food, beverages by means of vending or disturbing such goods, wares, merchandise, food, or beverages on any street, boardwalk, sidewalk in the old Sacramento business district. So that's an example of a particular zone. Um, Honolulu, it's unlawful for any person to peddle on a public place in the following areas, even if such person is exempt or licensed under section, under, under certain section, all right? On the Pali Highway, on the Makapu Lookout, on, uh, I can't even read this, Canoli Highway, um, on the Diamond Head Road from Pony Mao Road to Kulmani Place. Even though I messed up the, uh, the places, you get, you get the picture that these are zoning-based uh, restrictions. So um, now in the New York City example, no general vendor shall vend on any street which is in the C4, C5, C6 zoning district or in the area bounded uh, east set by 2nd Avenue or south by 13th Street on the west uh, by 9th Avenue and Columbus Avenue and on the north by 65th Street. So that's pursuant to the New York City Code. So again, we have a specific uh, zoning restriction. And none of these particular zoning restrictions have been challenged. And um, clearly, um, if they were challenged, um, I believe they would probably pass the rational basis test. So now, okay, I was off of my notes, but now we have the time-based restrictions. And um, two basic kinds of time-based restrictions are stand-stop restrictions and vending time restrictions. So um, let's look at um, stand-stop restrictions. So in Fresno, in residential districts, vendors have a two-hour time window to vend after which the vendor must move to a new location uh, that is no less than 500 feet away, okay? So that's a, an example of a stand-stop restriction. Uh, in non-residential districts, a vendor may stay in a single location for up to 12 hours in a 24-hour time hour period, after which the vendor must move to a new location, which is no less than 500 feet away. So we, there you have a hybrid. You have the, the time restriction and you have the stand-stop restriction sort of coming together in the same statute. <clears throat> and in Louisville, uh, no mobile food vendor shall park, stand, stop, or allow a vehicle to remain in any place other than is necessary to transact immediate business. In no event shall the operation stand longer than 15 minutes in any given location. At the expiration of 15 minutes, a mobile vendor must begin moving to a, to a location at least 250 feet from the location. So, um, and th that's an example of these time-based uh, restrictions. So, now we have um, vending time restrictions. In Chicago, mobile food vehicle stops uh, shall be made only to a service, only to, to service customers and shall not exceed a total of two hours and the maximum per, uh, permitted period for parking, whichever is the lesser in any one block, okay? And then in Long Beach, we have uh, retail food vehicles shall be permitted to pedal upon any public street in any area of the city Zone for residential use, no retail food vehicle shall stop or stand upon any public 
street for the purpose of selling or offering for sale for a period uh, to exceed 10 minutes unless there are customers waiting to buy the product. The vehicle must move the distance of one half block before making an additional sale or offering for sale. So that's interesting. So if there's a, um, if there's a line outside of the food vendor, then they have a right to stay. If there's no line, they got to get out of there within 10 minutes. Um, these are all very interesting, and you can see how the country is, is all over the place. Um, in Phoenix, no street vendor shall park a vehicle or a series of vehicles or set up a stand uh, or any other movable or temporary um, contravance on any public street or alley for more than one hour in any eight-hour period at one location. So um, clearly, in some of these places, the preference and the government has really gone towards brick-and-mortar stores. I mean, clearly, it's the brick-and-mortar community that's been lobbying these issues. And uh, the street vendors really are, are basically on the run in these, some of these time-based restrictions. They're on the run. Some of them can't stay in one spot for 10 minutes, some people an hour, within an eight. You know, they have all types of uh, different, um, you know, different time periods. So, um, and notice um, the Long Beach statute sounds like a stop and stand restriction, but it doesn't cap the amount of time that one has. Uh, ven vendors can stop for more than 10 minutes so long as the people are waiting to buy the product. So it's a window of time, uh, with which with the window being as long as you have customers lined up, um, which is interesting. Um, this is different from a regular stop-stand restriction that will make you move um, w within a certain amount of time is up, like the Louisville statute. So as soon as your 15 minutes is up in Louisville, that's it. You have to move 250 feet uh, over before you can start vending again. Um, and now let's look at some miscellaneous restrictions. Uh, some jurisdictions have, uh, interestingly, specific restrictions on vending. Consider the following from Chicago. No person licensed hereunder shall have the privilege of peddling flowers, growing plants, or floral bouquets, or designs, provided, however, that nothing in this section prohibits the peddling of flowers within a duly licensed tavern or restaurant with the consent of the license of the tavern or restaurant. I mean, talk about bizarre. I mean, I, you know, if I do a part two for this presentation, we're gonna go into the legislative history of this Chicago statute. I mean, wh who was lobbying this? I mean, certainly the, uh, the floral boutiques, the brick and mortar, they didn't want the street vendors peddling flowers on the streets. So certainly they did a good job in enacting this law. Um, but also, where do the bars come in? I mean, how did the taverns get involved with this one? I mean, that, it brought, I mean, who knew that flower shops and taverns would be brought together in one statute? So um, that's, a real, uh, that's a real interesting one. So, um, but, and I have more to say on that, but let's, let's, um, let's just look at the fact that, um, um, now we'll, we'll move on to First Amendment because we are running out of time. So thus far, we've discussed food and general merchandise vendors. Different rules apply to vending activities that are protected by the First Amendment. The government must bear a greater burden to place a restriction on vending that implicates the First Amendment. Um, rules are different for restrictions on expressive speech versus content-neutral restrictions. Okay, um, let's see. We do have a question, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll answer the question. I heard you say that Raleigh, North Carolina, Louisville, Kentucky, Cleveland, Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio, and Memphis, Tennessee proximity restrictions had not been challenged. I miss where the Tulsa, Oklahoma, Oakland, California, and San Antonio, Texas geospatial restrictions had been challenged. Uh, no, they haven't been challenged. Um, so if they were challenged, um, you know, I would, I would go back to, um, and thank you, Karen, for that question. I would go back to the three scenarios that I laid out before. Um, but if they were challenged, um, you apply the rational basis test, and you see how tight 
you know, the nexus is between the rational basis and the regulation. So, um, so uh, you know, that's still to be played out. Uh, Elena has a question, and we are running out of time. In my city, we have no street vendors, and we are losing our brick-and-mortar stores, so we have areas that have little access to groceries. I'm going to propose legislation to our city council to encourage street vendors. Any advice on crafting that so it doesn't uh, inhibit brick-and-mortar from eventually moving back so it doesn't uh, inhibit brick and mortar from eventually moving back to the area. Oh yes, um, you know if you look at some of the um, legislation all over this country, um, certainly um, those restrictions uh, based on like goods um, could could certainly play a role. Geospatial restrictions, time-based restrictions. Um, you know, certainly I'm a brick and mortar person, Elena. And um, you know any restrictions on street vending, but I also believe that there should be street vendors like you do, um, but in certain areas. How about underserved areas? You know why are fruit vendors opening up right in front of um, grocery stores? You know that makes no sense. In fact, we have laws in New York right now, um, green cart laws, which were meant for fruit vendors to open up in areas that are the least served in our society. Instead, they're opening up right in front of other fruit, brick and mortar fruit markets. So that's a very good question. And, um, and uh, you know, certainly contact me. Um, one more question. So the vendor in Fresno must operate more than 12 hours if they have to move to a new location rather than just close for the day. Uh, that's exactly right. So let's move on to um, uh, the First Amendment issues, restriction on expressive speech, for the purposes of this presentation, assume commercial activity is involved. Commercial speech has traditionally been given less protection under the First Amendment than non-commercial or pure speech. Okay, the test, there's a test. Intermediate scrutiny. The speech must be truthful and concern lawful activity. The government must have a substantial interest in restricting the speech. The regulation must directly advance the asserted governmental interest. Uh, number four, the regulation must be narrowly tailored to serve the government purpose. And I'm rushing through this now because I see that we're running out of time. So um, on, there's content neutral restrictions. Uh, the principal inquiry in determining the content neutrality in speech cases generally in time, place, and manner and in particular is whether the government has adopted a regulation of speech because of the disagreement with the message it conveys. I and mean, that's that's, that's the crux of this. A regulation that services uh, purposes unrelated to the content of expression is deemed neutral, even if it has an incidental effect on some speakers or messages, but not others. Um, content neutral restrictions are justified without reference to the content of the regulated speech. So the rule is content neutral speeches restrictions are valid if they are content neutral, narrowly tailored to serve a significant government interest and leave open um, ample alternative channels of communication. Um, and remember that the, per that the government may impose reasonable restriction on time, place, uh, manner of protected speech. So those are some of the uh, First Amendment issues. Let's end with our New York City case study on proposed legislation. So New York City has a 3,000 permit cap on full-term permits in the New York City Administrative Code. Um, New York City Council introduced a Street Vending Modernization Act that will make up new, numerous changes to the vending sections of the New York City Administrative Code. Uh, it increases the number of permits, potentially no cap due to the exceptions. Um, a new full-term permits not to exceed 600 in any year will be issued. I help lobby this, this bill. An additional 35 permit permits will be uh, issued with additional 35 authorized each year from March 1st to, to March 2024. Um, a reserved authority for more permits. So it also creates an office of street vendor enforcements. Uh, it will focus on areas adjacent to retailers that dedicate substantial floor area to the, to the sale of fresh fruits and vegetables and any other areas identified by the Department of Transportation as excessively congested and featuring um, high level uh, of vendor activity. So that's, um, that's what we have in front of the city council right now. 
Um, there's a lot of fights going on, and I have another 25 seconds left, so I'll end with just saying that this tug of war is going to continue. Um, some of you may not realize the New York City problem of street vendors all over the place, but um, the tug of war will continue between brick and mortar and fruit carts and food carts for a long time to come. This is David Schwartz, and I'm so happy you joined me. Thank you.